Welcome to CouncilCast, a new podcast series from the Council of Insurance Agents and Brokers. Our council guest today is John Pico. John has worked with thousands of business leaders across some of the world's foremost brands, helping companies capitalize on the power of loyalty, both in the marketplace and in the workplace. John knows a lot about the insurance industry. Prior to establishing Watermark, he held senior executive roles at Fortune 100 insurers, leading service, technology, sales, marketing, and distribution. He studied cognitive science at Princeton and holds an MBA from Duke. Today, I welcome John to the podcast. Thank you, Ken. Glad to be here. John, so let's start at the top. This is really about client experience, changing that client experience. Talk to us about what are the sort of key components of changing an experience. Well, I would say the the first component is to really understand what constitutes the experience. So a lot of the work that, that I do with organizations, before we even get to figuring out how do you improve the experience, the first step is really understanding what are the spectrum of touch points that even comprise that experience. I think there are many examples of companies that don't fully recognize all of the interactions, both live and static, that are shaping their customers' perceptions. Something, uh, for example, like uh, uh, customer statements, explanation of benefits with health insurers are a classic example of this. I find many health insurers don't recognize that an EOB is probably the most frequent interaction point that a customer has with that company. Yet, you would argue that the way many of those EOBs look, they don't get the attention that they probably deserve. So that really, I think, is key, is to step back and really appreciate that Your customer experience begins before people are even a customer. It begins in the earliest stages of the pre-sale process, extends through sale, point of sale, through service, and I'll even go a step further. You hope that you never have a client that defects from your organization, but if they do, I would say that is a touch point that deserves to be managed as carefully and intentionally as any other in your client life cycle. So I'm a CEO listening to this podcast, and I'm sitting there in my car thinking, I really don't have an idea what my customer experience is, but I know all the things that we have to do to service that customer. How do I start this thing over? How do I sort of begin to process it? And then, is it important? What's the impact? What what will change if I do it? Let's start with the impact first. The impact of customer experience, my firm actually, we've demonstrated with a study that we do where we look at uh, the publicly traded companies, uh, the top 10 companies in customer experience versus the bottom 10. Uh, And over the eight years of data that we've collected, the leaders outperform the laggards by about 85 percentage points. And the leaders outperform the S&P 500 index by about 35 percentage points. That says to me that, you know, even if you're a private company, I think the lesson there is clear that customer experience is something that the market believes if you deliver that well over the long term, you're a more valuable entity. And when you deliver a great customer experience, uh, it cultivates loyalty. And when you cultivate loyalty, it boosts revenues. It actually helps you to better control, if not reduce expenses. And it basically juices your profitability. And if you're a for-profit business, that should be of interest to you. In terms of where you start uh, as a CEO, I I would suggest stepping into the shoes of your customer. It's rare, unfortunately, where I find that CEOs take the time, for example, to pick up the phone and maybe call their call center or try to fill out a new application or a form that a new customer needs to complete. 
And if you take the time to do that, I think it becomes very salient very quickly at what some of the issues are in the experience. And it's a way for those in the corner office to have much greater visibility into what it really feels like on the front line with the customer. So that would be my number one recommendation is make sure you get out of the office, out of the corner office, make sure that you go into the wild and actually observe your customer in their natural habitat uh, or put on their hat, walk in their shoes and see what it really feels like. Uh, inevitably, I would say you're going to get a wealth of ideas that then can drive improvements going forward. How do I take, so I've done that, I've now f found out that it actually isn't fun being a customer of an insurance broker. There's too much paper involved. I, I don't have the information that I need. As a CEO, I'm now confronting this. So how do I overhaul a whole business process? How do, I, how do I start over? I mean, because essentially, that's what you're saying, is you're saying we've got to go look through, the, look through the touch points and identify behavioral changes, but that's going to cost me more money. It's going to mean that my shareholders are going to make less, or we're going to make less. I'm still struggling with how to, how to make the jump. Sure. So one thing I would say, I would actually, uh, I would actually dispute that it, would that it might cost more to make those changes. Because what I would say is, if you look at the complexity, the, as you said, the morass of forms and whatnot that people need to complete in order to establish a relationship with your firm, you got to ask yourself, if, it's, if, if you look at it and it's so complex and you know, you're familiar with insurance, imagine the reaction of the people who aren't familiar with insurance and how often do you think they're picking up the phone or coming to your office saying, I need help, I can't do this, we need to, you know, I, I need to start over? That drives cost in your organization. When customers need that kind of help, that puts stress on your infrastructure. So one of the things I, I firmly believe is that a great customer experience, particularly one that's effortless for your customer, actually costs less in the long run because you're, in essence, preempting dumb, avoidable reasons why people need your help downstream because you're doing it right upstream. You also asked, you know, well, how do you just sort of start over? I guess one thing I would say is in some cases it might not require starting over, but let's assume that you do have something that's just so ugly you say, oh my gosh, you know, this, we just have to start with a clean slate. Uh, one exercise that I think is helpful is to start from the outside in. You look at the current uh, experience and you say, this is awful for our customers. Well, what, what are your customers saying about it? Make up some, you know, if you haven't done a survey of your customers, just sit down with your staff, make up some quotes. What are customers typically saying when they go through this process? And that's kind of the current state. Then put that to the side and say to yourself, let's make up some quotes of what we want people to say in the future. What kind of feelings or emotions or reactions do we want to elicit for people in a new and better experience? Start there. Start with the reaction that you want to create and then work backwards and figure out what's the infrastructure, what are the form modifications or the sequencing of the process that needs to change in order to accomplish that. And so I think that's a good exercise to always start from the outside in, from the customer's perspective, because if you begin from that perspective, it's a lot more likely what you end up with is going to resonate with the customer and, and make them more engaged. So what you're saying is basically create the, the customer mantra at some point and then look backwards. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's very dangerous if you start from the inside uh, with an inward focus and look at it from a process standpoint. Start with the end in mind, and the end is the reaction, the impression that you want to leave on your customer. So this is an industry that is not necessarily known as the most technologically advanced industry. We spend a lot of money on technology, but we aren't the most automated or whatever you want to call it. We're not digitized the same way others are. Obviously, probably in the personal or in the uh, consumer space, 
Amazon would be a great example of someone who just totally digitized our lives. What can we learn from that? I think that what you can learn is certainly the power of technology to enable a great customer experience. But I want to be clear that I think it would be the wrong conclusion for anyone to draw that the only way that you can improve the customer experience, in insurance specifically, is by revamping your technology. Absolutely, it can help. I'm a big proponent of it. But you know, something as simple as uh, when I work with companies that are technology challenged, right? Uh, saddled with legacy systems from you know the 50s that uh, they're still using punch cards, right, to program. I'm not suggesting that you don't try to get rid of those, but there are other simple ways that you can actually enhance the experience that aren't tied to technological improvements. And I'll give you an example of one. Personal accountability and ownership is a decidedly low-tech but highly effective way to differentiate your customer experience. It is rare in today's world that customers contact a business and routinely hear someone at that business say, I can help you with that. Too often, instead, what you hear is, well, you need to call this department, or you need to call this person, or you need to fill this out. Now, that doesn't necessarily require a lot of technology to enable. That's a cultural thing. That's basically saying to your employees, listen, this is our mantra. I can help you with that. That's what we want to make sure every interaction we have with our customers is met with that mantra. And we want to make sure that you've got the tools you need to deliver on it. But even something as simple as, you know, I create an Outlook tickler that makes sure that I follow up with a customer a week later that had an issue just to make sure everything's okay. Does that require a whole lot of new technology? No. But I'll tell you something, most customers will be surprised you remembered them and you were advocating for them because they don't see that in most organizations. Interesting. Interesting times that we're in. So let's talk about customer, the customer experience as a, I, I, we're not fond of the word disruption, but that's what essentially happens. You lose a group of customers or you gain a group of customers because you've changed the customer experience. It's a change dynamic. You can see that in any kind of service sector business where we've got brokers who've changed their model, and so all of a sudden there's a drift in that direction. Financial services is a tough business because it's got lots of pieces to it, lots of data, lots of players. Are there examples in the industry without going, obviously naming them, but there are sort of systems that you've seen that actually have done a really good job of improving that customer-client experience? There are. There absolutely are. I think actually, you know, your, your members probably even see in the press these days that there are some companies, some upstarts that are attracting some interesting attention because they're trying to uh, start from a clean slate, right? Like we talked about, they're trying to say, what kind of reaction do we want to elicit from the customer? What's that verbatim, the quote that we want them to have after they receive their policy? And they're trying to architect an experience that addresses that. I think that, if I may, mention one company that I think actually has distinguished itself very well in this regard, um, and that would be USAA. Um, you know, USAA, uh, and I'm sure your members are familiar with them, insurance and financial services company that caters to members of the U.S. military. Um, not necessarily the same clientele as your members, but here's the lesson I think that insurance providers can learn from USAA. Uh, there's a very widely well-regarded measure called Net Promoter Score, which uh, many companies uh, use to measure the quality of their customer experience and the um, uh, level of engagement and loyalty that it creates. USAA holds the record for the highest independently verified Net Promoter Score across any industry, across all of time, around the globe. 
So understand what I'm saying here. The company that in the history of mankind had the greatest customer experience as measured by Net Promoter Score uh, wasn't Apple or Google or Ritz-Carlton or Disney. It was an insurance provider. That's an example that I like to cite with anyone in the insurance industry who questions whether it's really possible, given the nature and dynamics of the industry, to truly differentiate along this customer experience axis. Uh, I think USAA has demonstrated quite unequivocally that it is very feasible. And what's the core of it? What, what's the, is there a mantra? That, that, is there something that sort of drives all of it? I think, uh, you know, if, you, if we go back to the USAA example, I think that their secret sauce is a very intimate understanding of their customer. Again, it goes back to working from the outside in. They, of course, began in their, you know, early in their history, they just uh, were working with members of the U.S. military. They've since expanded to also serve, you know, second and third generation. But in their roots, they were just very good at understanding what the life of a member of the U.S. military was like. And they choreographed a customer experience that really resonated very strongly given what those U.S. military members face day in and day out. It's interesting, even to this day at USAA, uh, when new employees join, they actually go through what's called a boot camp, where they have an opportunity to experience what it is like being a member of the military. They eat the military rations. They put on gear. They really immerse themselves in the life of their customer, and that helps to inform everything that they then create in the experience. What an interesting way to do it, sort of become so in touch with your client that you know them intimately, and then you understand sort of the emotional component of, of their life. Yes. So, John, as we come to sort of a conclusion, um, Give us sort of one or two pieces of advice on how a firm, um, you know, how a firm actually takes the whole client experience and flips it upside down and then gets a result from it. Um, I, I, what I'm trying to get at is I, I think every time everyone looks at this, they just look at this large process, and that's scary. And at the same time, I've got 14 emails and three client proposals to do. And so I'm, I'm trying to get a sense of, is there a, is there a good moment in time that we should do this? Um, or is this something that evolves over time that you, you, you put in your process? Yeah. So you have to eat this elephant one bite at a time. You don't have to do it in one felt swoop. You use the pickaxe and you chip away at it. Um, and even small incremental improvements over time are going to get noticed by your customers. Uh, so, so that's one thing I would say is that it's important to make sure that you don't get paralyzed by just the sheer you know, monumental size of the effort. The other thing I would say is that in, in choosing where you apply that pickaxe first, go for areas, choose one of two areas. One, areas where you know you're creating pain for your customers because that's toxic. You know, you got to get rid of the pain points first before you start getting fancy with bells and whistles. So if you know that something is creating a significant pain point for your customer, that's a good place to address first. And the other thing I would say, too, is don't underestimate the importance of the cultural component here. And that is spending time not just on the outward experience that your customers see, uh, but also the inward experience of your employees and culturally where they sit, see customer experience fitting in the pecking order of priorities. If employees that work at your firm see that this appears just to be giving you know, lip service, that it's window dressing, there's no chance they're going to be motivated or inspired to go the extra mile for your customer. So I think it's very important too 
from the beginning to make it clear to folks, hey, this is a priority for us. This is going to be one source of differentiation for us in the future. And, you know, here are some examples of things that you can do to help advance our progress in this regard. And one example might be personal ownership and accountability. You know, be an advocate for your customer. That's something that you can do today without any new technology. So I think, you know, that's those would be the examples of, of ways that I would start to chip away at it. But you have to take solace in the idea that this is a journey. It's not something that ever has an end. You're always going to be chipping away at it because new things are going to come along, new pain points uh, that you'll have to address. But you take one bump at a time, and collectively, it makes a difference to your customer. Well, John, I think you've made a compelling argument on why this is a something you should pick up the pickaxe and start picking away at pretty quickly. And I, uh, we appreciate you spending time with us today. Um, I, I'm struck by the fact that you basically just said that you make your employee part of your customer base. You think of them the same way, and then they become they become loyal as your customer does. So, those are insightful and interesting comments, and we really appreciate you being with us. And thank you, everyone, for joining us today on the Council Cast.